You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest Hi everyone, Annie here for Showreel. I have been listening in to some of the online sessions of the Australian International Documentary Conference, the ADC, this week. You might be interested in the documentary screenings at ACME running at this moment, included in their program, which is our uh, series of documentaries and seven of the candidates in the running for the Academy Awards this year. Next week is MQFF, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, starting on March the 11th with the opening at the Coburg Drive-In. That should be a hoot. The uh, Transition Film Festival started on the 26th and is running to March 15th, all online, while the French Film Festival started this week at the Palace Como and Baldwin. Just a word of reminder that entries for the Setting Sun Film Festival need to be in by the end of March. We will hopefully be hearing from Anna Berezoukas from Setting Sun next week for more details. But today on Showreel, we are talking to filmmaker Nick Kazavitsky, whose short film, Soulmate, has just had its global premiere on the premiere platform Film Shortage. Nick was great to talk to, generous with his time, talking about his filmmaking adventure. Let's talk about Soulmate uh, first up. I mean, it was uh, first put together for uh, uh, Flickerfest. Um, can you tell us about uh, how, uh, how your journey, your journey with the film? Journey with the film, sure. Um, so I, I wrote a pilot script about, I want to say, 10 years ago. I started <laughs> in this world. And um, yeah, so at, the, at the time, it was kind of early in my career. So I kind of ended up putting aside and making a few other films in the last decade and uh, decided to revisit it. And uh, as I was kind of talking to a few people about it, uh, it was very evident that it was quite execution dependent because it's a bit of a world building uh, exercise. So we decided to go ahead and show show people what this would look like, what it would feel like, what it would sound like, and yeah, ended up putting together this um, this script to kind of introduce, I guess, uh, audiences to this particular story. Okay, so um, this is really like making a short film. This is kind of like a precursor to something much larger, a world that you're creating. That's exactly right. Yeah. So um, in the in the pilot script, the short film is actually split up into a series of flashbacks, and it's set in the when the lead character is is uh, older. So it's kind of exploring um, her dealing with the trauma of her past actions, and uh, decided to kind of combine the the flashbacks into a kind of um, cohesive sequence that created uh, yeah the current short film. So it's like a showreel. In a way, yeah, it's a showreel for the for the bigger for the bigger story for sure. Oh wow! And and it, it was shot in um, Bulgaria. 
correct? That's right. Yeah, we um, we decided to shoot it over in Eastern Europe in Bulgaria. Um, I'm originally um, from Eastern Europe, and every time I kind of spoke about this particular story in this project, I would always reference the a specific kind of brutalism architecture over there. And um, we we explored shooting it here in Australia and realized it would take a lot of visual effects and green screen trickery. So we uh, decided to, yeah, go over there and shoot the authentic real deal. Yeah, this is not the only... Um, like, Bulgaria has got, has got a... Uh, I mean, it crea- it, it, it's used by a lot of filmmakers, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a great uh, film school over there and there's also massive film studios owned by Millennium. But it's a quite a large uh, film hub, and it's almost kind of classified uh, as a bit of a yeah, a bit of a, a centre for, for filmmaking. A lot of um, a lot of amazing crew over there, and in, generally speaking, around that part of the world, you know, Romania, Serbia, Croatia. There's just great crews, but specifically Bulgaria. Yeah, there's um, they're quite uh, accustomed to a lot of productions going over there. Yeah, because I remember interviewing someone else who hounds love the uh, Western Australian filmmaker. Uh, anyway, it was. It, Right. Yeah, yeah, and and when I was speaking to him, his next film because it had been picked up uh, by an American company was uh, he was actually in Bulgaria when it was released. So obviously, it's a really interesting sort of uh, connection. You know, like it shows you that the film world is uh, international in its conception, really. Is and that's one of the things you must have found too. Well, that, that's a great way of looking at it, right? I mean, as filmmakers, all we see is a bit of a playground, right? So, yeah, a new a new country is just a new playground to kind of, uh, you know, design new worlds and new characters in. So, I mean, I I love shooting, you know, all over the world, and that was just a really special part of the world for me. You know, being kind of connected with my roots there. So, um, I definitely plan to go back there for sure. Well, you're lucky because you can speak the language. I'm assuming. That's right. Yeah, I'm originally from Macedonia, which is just across the border. So the language is very, very similar, and it and it helped uh, help navigate some of the crew for sure. Now you're a writer, um, director, and visual effects, and um, uh, and because Soulmates is a is a kind of a futuristic kind of a. I mean, it's called science fiction, and it's also about a, a kind of uh, dystopian future, really. But it's. Uh, less about um, special effects, really, isn't it? It's more about the mind game of an individual within a breaking-down society. Well, I mean, that's right. We, we call it a sci-fi, but when you kind of break it down, there's nothing really science fiction about the technology that uh, is, is featured in the in the short. It's more, I guess, the tone and the concept of that society being in a, in a, in a place of... Uh, desperation to the point of you know extreme measure, measures, and I think that element is 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 pro- that, like that thought process is probably science fiction. But uh, if you break it down, you know we have drones now, we have pieces now. So any, all the technology I use, if anything, is probably quite primitive in the film. So uh, that's kind of interesting to to talk about. Well, well, the other thing is that. Um... So when when I say that you you you're skilled in visual effects, I suppose what I'm getting at is I was wondering about your opinion about filmmaking um, and visual effects uh, and how that conceptualization of uh, a film is married to visual effects. If you know what I mean, like it's it's not just tethered. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Tell me yeah. about what you think. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, look, visual effects is just another tool in the toolbox, in, in a filmmaker's toolbox, right? 
when we um, when we broke down scripts or even when we're writing scripts, uh, there's only so much tools you have. You have words on a page. Um, when it comes to filmmaking, you have music, you have visual effects, you have actors, you have locations. And I, I just like to think of it as just another tool and having an extensive visual effects background, um, I tend not to rely on it as much. I, I, I like to use it as a as a way to heighten the world, the world that I want to create, but I don't necessarily want to rely on that tool. And um, that, that goes with, with anything, I guess. But um, in, in my previous work, I've used visual effects, but not to the extent that I have in, in this particular film. And purely because it, re, it required it as a, as a bit of a, like a really helpful world building tool. Yeah, world building. And I was going to ask you about that because of the colours and the landscapes and the visualisations that you've employed. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you go about that? Because it's very blue, sure. you know, and so, I mean, it's very grey, and it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a palette. Yeah, yeah. So, for sure. Um, you know, with any colour palette, when you sit down with your DP or in a designer, you, you talk about the kind of colour palette you want to utilise that usually should complement the emotions being explored within the piece. And I had I had this very specific, stark approach to this particular film, but also I wanted to use colour in a way that heightened the story. So in the case of Soulmate, um, our lead character wears this, you know, really rich, bright red beanie against, you know, a really grey and, and snow-filled background, making her stand out quite a bit. And that's that's part of her characterization, meaning she, you kind of, as you watch the piece, you realise that she almost wore that beanie as a as a beacon. So suddenly we used colour to enhance story too. But um, we designed all the costuming and all the all the production design was designed for a, a snow-filled backdrop. So um, that was really important for us to go, you know, to really achieve that. And uh, we're very lucky that it actually did snow for our shoot. And specifically for the four days that we, we shot, um, outside of that, it did not snow. So I felt very lucky. <laughs> you were lucky. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. It's just uh, wonderful when everything um, actually uh, falls into place for you <laughs> as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like it was meant to be. So uh, we just embraced the the, the cold <laughs> and uh, and ran with it. But uh, it was it was an incredible experience, and you know, shooting in, in that weather definitely uh, is very very challenging. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I was wondering the group of people that you worked on the film with. Uh, often, uh, people who are successful over time have uh, a, a coterie of people that they work with. Is that your approach, or did you find people there at, in Bulgaria? It was a, it was a combination. Um, I, I've worked with my DP for a long time. I've, I've shot two films with him in the past, so um, we ended up uh, flying him over. Um, uh, worked with a new production designer from here in Australia that we took over, but um, in terms of the rest of the team, um, the, my usual editor was on it, my usual visual effects artist was on it, but um, the rest of the crew, meaning you know grips, gaffers, uh, producers um they were all from um from bulgaria um, i have a producing partner here who, who put it all together and so it was a, a kind of key crew we took over but the rest of the team was um all local so it was a bit of a combination um of the two but i was i was pretty adamant to be able to control a level of quality as much as i could meaning i i wanted a reliable team and not someone that i hadn't worked with before even though the team that I hadn't worked with before ended up being quite amazing as well. I was just wondering exactly about what you were just saying. Like, there's a certain comfort zone as well as explore, exploratory. You know, like if you're going to go to a new environment, then 
you know, you want to have people who actually know where places are and how to use the system there. Exactly. Yeah, you definitely need locals, otherwise you're kind of running around quite lost. Uh, so we had a, we, we partnered up with a really great um, local um, film fixers who ended up um, helping us put it all together and they helped us hire all the, the rest of the team. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there was an element of wanting, you know, some sort of uh, familiarity with with the process and also knowing that I didn't have I didn't have a lot of days to shoot this in, so I, I had to I had to shoot fast. So I think working with people that are accustomed to your style is help, helped a lot. Yeah, right. So um, it was a four day shoot, but then obviously uh, a lot longer putting it together. Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So we, definitely, yeah. We did um we did a whole bunch of pre here in Australia. So we ended up um, shot listing, doing some storyboarding. We even did um, location scouting via Google Earth. So we wanted to be as prepared as we could. And then uh, we arrived in Bulgaria probably, uh, I want to say, a week or two before the shoot day. And then we, we had about that time to just lock in all our locations and do some rehearsals and some kind of last-minute production design adjustments because obviously that was the first time we'd stepped into uh, those locations. Um, but, we yeah, we did a lot of preparation here in Australia before we, we flew out. And so uh, when you shot the film, what about the editing process and all the rest of it and the music and all those kind of things? Yeah, so I work with a great editor who's cut um, uh, all my other films called Kent Howe and also uh, my composer, Michael Lira, who's also done a bunch of my other films. Um, so as soon as I shot the film, we we pretty much flew out the day after and hand, handed everyone a hard drive and we started editing immediately. Um, was pretty pretty keen to to put this together, so we did all the post production back here in Australia. G'day, I'm Warwick Fulton, and uh, you're listening to Three CR. You're on Showreel here on Three CR, your community radio, and we're talking with filmmaker Nick Kazavitsky about his film Soulmate, which is showing on the premiere platform Film Shortage, a curated online site for short films. I mean, obviously, you said that you uh, wrote this idea about. 10 years ago and so obviously you've been working on uh, f- films of your own project but also money making concerns using your own skills so I mean one of the things it says that you worked on the uh, you know big productions like uh... I can help you out uh, yeah I, uh, I've, I've been working here, here in Australia on a bunch of big productions I worked on Gods of Egypt I've worked on Australia I've worked on Happy Feet Fury Road um, in like a myriad of different roles a kind of Kind of spanning from design to visual effects to previews, um, some on-set work as well. So just kind of co- collecting, I guess, as many skills as I could over the last ten years, and working with as many, you know, um, I guess, experienced filmmakers and directors that I could, that I could absorb information from. And I've kind of just utilized all of that to define my own style and kind of taken, taken bits and bobs that I that I like from other filmmakers and really finessed my approach. Yeah, because what I was getting back to was that, like, this is a strategy. Like, you've got this film, you've got this, this is something, uh, your baby, right? And as I said, you're, yeah. you're and it's a showreel. It, it was um, part of Flickrfest. Now, Flickrfest, of course, is one of the, is the only short film festival, isn't it, from here that's uh, conduit straight to the Academy Awards and uh, the BAFTAs. That's right, yeah. And so that's a strategic move as well. There's, You've got a strategy. So now it's going to be shown on the uh, uh, on the platform uh, film shortage. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, strategy is a big part of, 
um, I think should be a big part of a, a filmmaker's approach just in terms of uh, having a specific goal that you're working towards. And I, I myself, the dream is obviously just to be, a, you know, generally speaking, a working filmmaker that can explore stories that I'm passionate about and that, that I'm connected to. And in order to achieve that, you need to build a skill set, you need to build the relationship, connections. Um, I made a film about four or five years ago called Skinfed, which then kind of got me noticed over in the States and ended up getting an agent and a manager. And off the back of that, uh, I've been given a whole bunch of opportunities. Um, I've recently just signed a, a deal to direct a film for Patriot Pictures, which is a psychological horror. Um, and in terms of the short film strategy, um, we definitely wanted to explore festivals. And as we know, because of COVID, film festivals aren't quite what they used to be. Um, well, not so as we, much fun for the filmmaker. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it's essentially, they're all online anyway. So uh, we, we um, screened at Portland uh, end of last year. And, you know, that was an online release or at least an online window for audiences. And um, we're very lucky here in Australia that we could have, uh, you know, an actual in-person festival like Flickrfest, which is amazing to see it with an audience. Um, but we very quickly realized that, uh, you know, it'll take it'll take some time for film festivals to recover from from all of this and, and you know, get back to where they were, where we could actually travel and, and meet filmmakers. So our strategy ended up being just to get this released online because we just want people to see it. But also uh, the quicker we get it out there, the quicker we can discuss the bigger story and, and actually taking this to the next stage. So tell me about um, uh, Film Shortage, because Film Shortage uh, promotes itself as being a place for shorts. Um, I mean, in the in the longest, in the distant past, people would go and see a short and a feature, and this is a distant past. A, a great way of going to the movies, but it's being put aside. Uh, this is another way of getting shorts out there. Well, I mean, short films are a great kind of... Um you know, for any filmmaker that wants to develop their skills or finesse their style or explore any story, short films are fantastic for that. But the obviously downside is they're not necessarily a a tool that can be monetized or or you know you can build a a bit of a release by it. Um, festivals are a fantastic way. So you've you've got a, a few kind of key platforms that explore it. You know, short, uh, film shortage does it, dust does it, um, short of the week. So there are a few kind of platforms that are known for. I guess in a in a roundabout way, distributing short films in where you can go on these platforms and know that you're you're looking at quality. So the way they don't just accept any film, they they actually have like a bit of a marking criteria where they assess it and they review it. And if they think it's worthwhile for them to uh, put out there, then that's when they accept it. So we're very lucky that Film Shortage really uh, supported our film and and were we have become really big fans. Yeah, it, where, where is where does it emanate from? Is it American or is it local or what? I believe so. I mean, I I, uh, I I just know of it because I go to it to just to look at what other filmmakers are doing occasionally. Um, but uh, I believe I believe they are US based. But I might be wrong on that. Yeah, yeah. What sort of contract do you, you do you monitor? Does it monetize your your product? Not at all. Um, they're purely <laughs> to expose. To expose the, the short films, so um, you, you can take it off their platform whenever you want. Um, you, they're, they're very, they're very filmmaker friendly. Um, their goal is just to get um, good content out there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you know the short film idea, in a way, uh, with uh, online services and YouTube and all the rest of it, and the idea that uh, modern audiences' attention span has been educated to be shorter. 
Um, I'm not having the argument. It's just the way uh, people talk of it. Um, actually, short films uh, may have uh, more legs than people expect, I guess. I mean, yeah, if you, if you want quick content that uh, you know, is designed to, to be told efficiently, then definitely short films are the way to go. And going on platforms that uh, are known for at least uh, distributing you know, quality short films, you're, kind of, you're bound to find something that, that you know, interests you. And I think it's, like I said, it's not only a great tool for filmmakers to, to express their skills and, and, and um, explore them, but also for audiences to kind of find some unique stories and, and unique uh, filmmakers out there. You know, uh, the fact that it is a short film and it is a very efficient and uh, interesting way of exploring, uh, I mean, you know, as a showreel, but also as a filmmaker, um, it gives you a chance to actually uh, plot what your future film will be like. I mean, you're after making either, what, a series or a feature. What, what's your view on this? I mean, it's a short now, but you want to make... A feature, or do you want to make a series? Gotcha. So, I mean, for this specific story, uh, it was always designed to be a series. It's a quite a large world, and there's actually a, a myriad of characters that are featured in in the story because it's designed essentially to put the audience in the character's perspective, asking them what they would do if they were, you know, essentially found themselves in a world like this. So in order to really achieve that, you need to show that scope and scale of all the different characters that live in this world. So it, it kind of naturally felt like it should be a series that would allow us to actually explore that on a, on a deeper level. Um, it's told through the main character's point of view, but she does end up meeting all these different characters along the way and learning about how they've survived in this particular world. So it naturally felt um, inclined to be a series for me. So it could be a game. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> Yeah, because cause that's what modern games, the more esoteric modern games uh, are about, aren't they? Well, definitely. I think all this, the new age gaming right now is, is quite extraordinary in, in terms of combining, you know, cinematic storytelling with really immersive gameplay. It's uh, it's become, yeah, just beyond beyond immersive. And I think that line is getting quite blurred. And there's some incredible stories being told through gaming. And then on top of that, they immerse you with interaction. It's, it's, a, it's quite, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a tool that works really, really well. And now there's a lot of, you know, whenever we talk about pitching IP, there's always the idea of like, okay, can it be a game? Can it be a series? Can it be a film? Can it be a, anything else, an interactive media? Um, it's, it's quite amazing where we are with technology these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if just as a matter of interest, if it were um, as a filmmaker, how would you, actually uh, work with a business world element to take your filmmaking skills into the gaming world? Is it a different world? Is it a different... Um, I, I do think it's a different world, but I do think uh, there are many um, artists that are working in gaming that either have come from filmmaking or understand storytelling because, I mean, story essentially is at the heart of everything we do as 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 humans we we tell stories all the time and whether whether you tell it through animation or gaming or, or live action at, at the end of the day it's all about connecting with an audience or at least another individual and in any means way possible so 
in terms of shifting into that industry, it's obviously a very different industry. And some people spend their entire lives trying to break it into a single industry, let alone separate ones. But um, I think that would be a, a pretty great opportunity to, to take something like this into multiple mediums. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I and I hadn't asked you, and I wanted to ask you about the actors because it's a the central character is a thirteen year old girl. So um, getting the right person, all the people that you used as actors, how did that happen? I mean, the, the casting process is, I think, a director's uh, key tool in in telling the story in in a really um, compelling way, and I think. If you cast well, you've done half your job, as they say. So we we cast Holly May Lewis here in Sydney. We we did a a cast uh, an audition process with um, McGregor's, who ended up helping us out. We ended up seeing many many girls, and um, she stood out quite quite drastically. And um, that was the only person we cast here in Australia, and everyone else was actually local in Bulgaria. So we ended up having a separate casting agent over there, looking for talent for us. And when we rocked up, we did a few auditions. Um, but it was a combination of, yeah, uh, kind of casting all over the world. Yeah, which is interesting because, of course, uh, uh, people are bilingual in other places. In Australia, not so much. <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, it, it definitely helps. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the Bulgarian film industry and the, the, they're so used to working, you know, with Americans coming over to make films. And obviously now, obviously they're doing a lot more. Um, you know, most of them can speak English, which which helps a lot. Uh, and all the actors that we that we dealt with were definitely bilingual, and um, and we I decided to utilize that in the film and had a character do you know both English and Bulgarian because I thought it added a a texture to the piece that took it into a really kind of fascinating worldly space. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Thanks very much for talking to me, Nick, and best of luck. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Bye. That's it for Showreel this week. Keep well. Talk soon.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.